of my praying people. I am both excited and a little bit nervous about this series, this three-part series that I'm starting with this episode. I'm excited because after several years, I'm deciding to begin to step out on my platform and discuss a subject that is a little bit scary to discuss, but it's the... um, it's regarding being a parent of kids that are deconstructing their faith. And I guess it's a little bit scary because I don't want to in any way hinder the journeys that my kids are on or to um, expose them unduly. (laughs) They've already been exposed unduly all of their lives as preacher's kids, but to expose them unduly to any kind of attention. Um, But at the same time, I am very much affected by this world of faith being deconstructed and I've got things burning in my bones that I need to get out of me that um, and to be quite honest doing this podcast is very therapeutic for me as I'm processing some of the things that I've been thinking but last Wednesday night when I was at church and just casually sharing with a group of women I recognize that there are others that are um, just caught up in the fray of um, dealing with their kids' journeys that, and it's breaking their hearts. And so I thought, you know, somebody needs to say something about this. And so it might as well be me. I set out calling this series that um, kind of joking, saying I was going to give my children a piece of my mind for Christmas. <laughs> And then I very quickly decided that's not, it's not what they need. It, it isn't. And I can't do it anyway. But um, I do want to give them all of my heart, obviously. And we do that all the time every day. And that's what I want it to be for Christmas. But it's kind of morphed into being a, a podcast more for you as a parent. I want to I wanna help you know how, um, I, wanna, I want you to know you're not alone. There's a lot of us in this boat together. This phenomenon of um, deconstructing your faith has left in its wake a whole lot of parents that are wringing their hands and shaking their heads and, and um, not knowing what to do. We're embarrassed. We're, we're frustrated. You know, just all the things. And so this series of podcasts is going to be for you, for you, mom and dad. This is for us, for us to rally together and to really recommit ourselves to trusting God with these kids that are His more than they are ours and um, doing the very best that we can to walk in um, integrity, to walk out our faith with the Lord with integrity as we are taken on this journey of, re- of deconstruction with our adult kids. So enjoy this uh, episode, the first part of a three-part series, really, to parents of people who are deconstructing their faith. So I started out thinking that on this particular series of podcasts, I would give my children a piece of my mind, you know, just say the things that I want to say to them, uh, say the things that maybe... um, I would say to them if they would would listen, <laughs> but not even really that. It would be more saying the things that um, might really fix what's broken. And you may wonder, well, Liam, what's the problem? Like, what is broken, really? Your kids are growing up. They're doing their own thing. They're, um, they're making their own way. 
and you're just a you're like an old leftover helicopter parent that got grounded and that's what your problem is like you won't just let go of them but it's more than that it's not that um i didn't expect my kids to grow up one day and go their merry way and to be quite honest um I I didn't even care. Well, I guess I probably would care. Like, if they lived clear across the world from here, I would miss them. I mean, if I had my way about it, I jokingly say I'd like for them just to move in next door. And, you know, or we can just add on to the house. I think they did that some on the farms in the old days. They just, you know, added on to the house when the kids grew up. And I don't know. Most moms would, would want that. Some wouldn't, I'm sure. But... I, I surely wouldn't have minded. Our family had a blast. My goodness, when my kids were growing up, we had fun. I had a I had a friend that happened to be a prayer partner too, and she said, you know, Leanne, if there is another life, if there were reincarnation here on earth, and don't get all caught up in that, we weren't believing that there was. She was just using it as a as a way to make this point. She said, if I could come back to life, I'd want to come back as a McCoy kid. Gee whiz, y'all live the life. I mean... We had fun with our children growing up, and even though their dad was a pastor, he was very intentional about spending time with them and about us making our family a priority, and maybe because we were so close growing up and we had lots of good communication that went on in our home, I mean, you could ask any of my children that, and and they would be like, yeah, like one of the things we did in our home is that we talked. We talked about everything. <laughs> and we talked fairly openly. I mean, there were seasons and yeah, there were uh, times when um, our children didn't feel heard. I know that my, one of my children didn't feel heard because she's told me that since. And and there were hard times that we went through and and challenges and difficulties. But for the most part, Tom and I were very much caught off guard when after our children um, were even older than college graduates, like it was even beyond that, that a couple of them really began to question their faith and even go into what could be called or what the culture really does call deconstructing their faith. And just in case I'm talking to some people who maybe have heard the buzzword of deconstruction, but they don't really know what we mean by that, let me read to you what one writer said and what what he what we're talking about when we talk about deconstructing faith. This writer's name is Curtis Vanderpool. And he said that deconstruction is a popular term that refers to the practice of revisiting and rethinking long-held beliefs, specifically in the Christian faith. Richard Rohr is perhaps the most well-known Christian leader to popularize the term. Rohr often describes healthy faith development as one that undergoes three stages. Construction, building your belief system and worldview. Deconstruction, challenging that worldview and subsequent beliefs. And then reconstruction, and that's rebuilding a new, more holistic set of beliefs and worldview. And um, just the way that Richard War is explaining this, you can already hear how the words are being used to imply that your faith is really only yours and it's really only holistic <laughs> if it goes through this process. So it can't just be good if it's just constructed. It has to be deconstructed and then reconstructed in order for it to be yours. Now, I don't know about you, but I 
I embraced the Christian faith at 11 years old at a little girls camp in the North Georgia mountains. And that night, I can still remember it as if it was yesterday when a missionary was singing Oh Holy Night because we were celebrating Christmas in July. And during that long song <laughs> that he was singing, I constructed my faith. I mean, it had been being built by my parents who took me to church and every one of those volunteers who served at that church to lay the foundations for my faith. And I had known for a little while that Jesus had died for my sins. And at 11 years old, I, that, that supernatural work that goes between your head and your heart and just um, ignites with this, I, I don't even know how to put it into words for our deconstructing children, but it was just... It was, a, it was a miraculous thing that happened to me as an 11-year-old child where I invited Jesus into my heart to save me from my sins, and I was changed. I feel like that country song that says, you know, they went down to the river, were baptized, and then she was changed. You know, it just happened. It was. It, and, and from that point forward, I began to grow in my faith. And so I just began to build on what had already been built on. And I didn't have to go through a season of tearing it all apart and, and, and tossing it aside and looking at all the other options out there in order for it to be mine. Or in, in order for, for the faith that I had embraced in order for it to um, satisfy me as a way to live life. But in our world today, it seems like many young people feel like that unless they go through this process of um, throwing away what was precious to them, re-examining it and making sure that, that they want it, they haven't really come into their own. They're, they're not smart. They're not wise enough. They're not strong enough. They're not willing to be courageous enough to deviate from what they were taught as children. And, and unless they, they change it completely, and the more it seemingly sometimes it feels like, the more bizarre ideas and belief systems and, um, and spiritual, uh, thoughts that they entertain, the more bizarre it is, the more courageous they are, and therefore the more complete they are. Because you see, after you, they've deconstructed and tossed away what their parents might have put in them, then they're going to rebuild anew, like a new, and, you know, according to Richard War, a more holistic set of beliefs and worldview. Um, and when this happens, you know, uh, it would be nice, I know, for our kids if they could just take this journey without it having such a knee-jerk reaction from their parents. And I think that they're smart enough to recognize that if they're going to go this way, it, it's understandably going to be difficult for us. But they would prefer for us to just sit down and be quiet and carry on, you know, <laughs> You just carry on, Mom and Dad. Uh, bless your hearts. You've done a, a great work. You're, you're about a good thing. It's a, it's a wholesome thing. It works for you. But we're, we're woke. We, we've awakened. We, we, have, we have developed this ability to see things spiritually that, that bless it, you just haven't been able to see. 
because you're wrapped up in this age-old traditional um, passed down through the ages system of religion that has been so tainted by uh, governments and, and politics and, and, oh goodness, the patriarchal order of things that you, bless you, you don't even see what you don't see and so you don't know what you don't know and therefore, you know, we just got this gap between us because we now are on the cusp of a, of a whole new world. It's a whole new uh, age. It's, a, it's an awakening, they want to say. And as I've had conversations with my children about this, um, the most painful parts of those conversations have been, you know, you can hear the tears in my voice right now, is that I didn't, I didn't even know to pray against this because I, I didn't even know this was a thing. I, di I didn't even know that one day out of the blue, the, the belief system that I have would be attacked in such a way and would be diminished. I, I really thought, you know, I really thought that when I held that baby in my arms and my father-in-law, who was also a preacher, a pastor, just like my husband is a pastor, when my father-in-law prayed over them and prayed God's blessing into their lives, I really thought they were not only going to grow up in the faith of their fathers, but they were going to become leaders in the building of the kingdom. My children have been frustrated that before they were ever born, I had ideas about, you know, what kind of life, what life would look like. And I think back on that. And I remember the one pregnancy I had when, uh, because of some things that happened, the doctors were, uh, were um, counseling me as if perhaps I was having a miscarriage. And, you know, I'd only known I was pregnant for a couple of weeks. And I remember how devastating that moment in time was because in just two weeks, uninvited, <laughs> All these visions had already planted themselves in my head and in my heart about what this baby was going to become when they grew, when they were here. Like, you know, I mean, just just ideas about the sense of humor they would have and what color their hair would be and and how how they might um, you know live their life and and what it would be like to have this child. And I remember being so devastated in just two weeks' time. And then soon thereafter, I found out that indeed I had not miscarried this child; that I was I was actually still pregnant. And and all of that pregnancy, just like it was for all three of the pregnancies that I had, the whole nine months that those babies were in inside of me, they weren't just in my womb; they were in my heart and they were in my head. And I would dare say that even though they were in my body, they were in my husband's heart and head too. And. And we didn't ask to have ideas about who they were going to be when they grew up or what life was going to be like with them. But those ideas just came to us. It just played like a movie, you know, <laughs> like a Netflix series that you can't turn off. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know to stop it. I didn't know to stop it because I didn't know that a day could come when they're their life 
would um, so conflict with mine that they would want to be very separated from it. I took very much for granted the attachment we had when they were little. And as they grew up, the independence that I wanted to breathe into them, I, I wanted them to be strong and to be independent. So I really didn't think I was a hovering mother. But honey, the day that they began to challenge the things that I wanted them to hold on to most, you know, I didn't really care what they do when they grow up. I didn't care, um, you know, uh, th th what their favorite color was, you know, <laughs> or even, um, you know, whether they were a, a, an artist or a or a gymnast or or whatever. But but I did care, and I do care. I do care whether they know Jesus or not and what they do with Jesus. In fact, that's really the only thing I cared about. But for those of us that are parents of children that are deconstructing their faith, the fact that we care about that creates conflict and um, confusion Lots of hurt and brokenness in our relationships with each other. Um, we'll talk more during this three-part series about um, what challenges, you know, more specifically to Christianity that they have. Because some of them are um, reasonable complaints, but... Some of it is just, flat, it's not flat out lies. It's more um, subtle than that. It's just a twisted truth. That's what it is. They're, they're, I'm sorry, I know this is offensive if my kids are listening. But for the most part, kids that are walking away from Christianity are walking away from truth and they're being deceived. They're being deceived by these twisted truths, and they're being deceived by this, um, by this, uh, I don't even know what to call it, um, drive to um, be awakened spiritually to something better than what Jesus offers. And... Um, as we engage in this stage of life with them, I think there's um, there's some things that we as parents can do. One is we can talk about it with each other. I, I think for a couple of years, I've just been kind of quiet about it because I'm embarrassed. I'm, and that's not the number one thing. I'm just mostly heartbroken. I uh, Believe you me, as a pastor's wife who's lived in the fishbowl for a long time, one of the things I've chosen not to be where my kids are concerned is embarrassed or ashamed. I'm just not going to be that way. We just are who we are. It is what it is. And more than I care what you think about us, I love these kids. And I just want, I want what's best for them. And I don't talk about this deconstruction a whole lot because I don't want it to mess up 
the relationship that we have because the relationship we have is very important to me. I love my children and I want to be a part of their lives, even if their lives are way different <laughs> than what I imagined they would be or what I wish they were. And it's no secret they know these things. But we've come a long way, the, the kids and I, and um, I think that I can help you guys. Other moms and dads are going through the same thing. So, um, I'm not sure I said this already because I'm kind of rambling, but I set out to talk about um, what I would say if I could say something to my children <laughs> and if they could hear it. You know, if I could speak a truth to them that they could really hear. Uh, this is this is the truth that I would want to speak. And I'll, I'll share some more of these uh, along the way too. But um, the truth that I would want to speak to them right now is I would want to tell them that there's nothing new under the sun there the my children who are deconstructed in their faith have been very much um, interested in discovering something that hasn't been discovered before uncovering something that has been hidden by the worldview the Christ-centered worldview that I um, was very intentional about rearing them in. And um, I am going to use scripture to back up this fact that there's nothing new under the sun, recognizing that my kids don't necessarily um, embrace scripture with the authority that I embrace it with. And um, in fact, one time, one of my kids said, did you know that at the Council of Nicaea, that the whoever the leader of the world was on that day did this as a political he was um, having them canonize the Bible or choose those um, books as a political maneuver for power well I looked up the council and I say now mind you I have a seminary degree but I don't remember which council did what I I, I, because I don't question the authority of Scripture, but it is it is interesting to me, and I thought, well, is there any truth in that? And that, parents, by, by the way, is one thing I do when they start challenging me with some of these conversations. It makes me dig deep. I, I go back and figure out why I believe what I believe. They're asking questions I didn't ask, but when they ask them, sometimes I, I'm curious and I need, to, I need to know the answer. So I did go back and look at the Council of Nicaea. Well, the Council of Nicaea didn't have anything to do with the canonization of the Scripture. It had to do with the um, divinity of Christ. It was actually the Council of Rome where the, um, the bishops and all got together in order to discuss which Scripture they would make um, canonized, which Scripture was most um, authenticated and was able to be... Um, traced back to its original manuscripts so that it could be uh, um, held with integrity. So anyway, but it didn't matter because in your conversations with your children when they're deconstructing their faith, it, it's the counsel of it doesn't matter because they just use that to make themselves sound smart and, and to get you kind of off track a little bit. And I know that's not always the case, but it can be sometimes. And I'm diverting, but I am going to use the scripture to talk about this fact that what I'd love to say to my kids is 
listen guys, there's really not anything new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 10, excuse me, 10 says it this way. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself as it has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. And my friends, that was written in, in the day that Ecclesiastes was written. This is like hundreds of years before Jesus even made it to the scene. Thousands of years ago. The writer of Ecclesiastes, could have been Solomon, is just basically saying life is cyclical. This, this life that we live is an ancient drama. And it started way before we got here, and it's going to go on way after we're, we're gone. Um, people have asked the questions that our deconstructing sons and daughters are asking. They've been asking those questions throughout the ages. And if you're deconstructing your faith and you happen to be listening to me, go check it out and see if the questions you're asking have not been asked before. And Christianity has been challenged in the same way that you're challenging it today, time and time again. And yet, Christianity continues to be a, a formidable force in a good way in the world today. Um, people see this from a different perspective, but um, so much that's good in the world finds its roots in biblical teaching. Um, the abolishment of slavery, the um, equal rights for people, the um, increase of the um, notice that women are mistreated all around the globe. The fact that we're aggravated about that is the sense that God gives us of morality in the in the first place. But also, it's the fact that Jesus really like befriended women and elevated women and even gave women the opportunity to share the news of his resurrection. This was unheard of in his day. And so, in so many ways, Christianity has, has stood the test of time and continued to be a positive force in the world today. Most of the money that is spent on any kind of benevolent work channels itself through the church. The world's a better place because of those who have adhered to this um spiritual practice, the connecting of our lives to the Creator. But back to the fact that there's nothing new under the sun. You see, the those of you who are deconstructing your faith, this has been done before. Many people have stood at your place in life and they have questioned what is. They have um, set out to right the wrongs 
to discover things that have not been discovered before, and to enlighten others with their insights and their discoveries. I remember being this way. My goodness, my husband was a heretic and a lunatic because he refused to wear a suit to the convention that he went to. <laughs> and that seems so minor today, but as a young man, he was trying to change things. He wanted people to be more real. You know, he wanted, but then I'm sure those who came before us were changing something else all along the way. We have been very passionate to want to make a difference and to want to um, be more aligned with truth. I love the enthusiasm of young people, of youth. And I, by youth, I'm calling like 20-something. As you're embarking on your independence and your platform and your opportunity to make your mark on the world. I love your possibility thinking. I love how you dream. And my advice to you, now remember, I'm just giving a piece of my mind to our deconstructing kids. My advice to you is to go for it. Fix what we messed up. Discover new solutions. Build on what's been built on before. That's why we've made progress through the ages. We all we don't all stop at, start at ground zero. We build on what's been built before. Learn from our mistakes. And save yourself the time it would take you to make those mistakes yourself and then have to learn from them. But then go out there and make some new mistakes and learn from those. Anything's possible. It, it really is. But there's no need to charge into the future and to feel like in order to be your own person, you have to go fueled by a rebellion against values and beliefs that have stood the test of time. And if you do, though, which you are doing, obviously, you're challenging those values and beliefs. And I, if you've got doubts, pursue your doubts. Search out the answers. That's what we are. We are answer seekers. We're seekers. We want to find truth. And, and if, if you're disappointed, and many of you, probably all of you who are deconstructing your faith, have been wounded by people who claimed to be Christ followers. You know what the beautiful thing about being a Christ follower is? Anybody can say they are one. <laughs> and we also, any of us can be one. And Jesus is so patient with us that he lets us drag his own name through the mud, even if we're not living like Jesus. But when, when you're doubting Christianity... And, and when you've been wounded by people, go and look and see if the wounds reflect Jesus or not. And go and look and see if what happened to you in whatever situation. And so many, so many deconstructing kids, young adults, adults. Oh boy, there is um, spiritual abuse that happened in the church. And so the church has become corrupt. Now I'm just saying that's what I've heard. That's what I see when I'm reading and what I hear others say. And it's like the impetus to open your eyes and look around and try to find something different. And I, and I want to challenge you by saying, <laughs> who is the church? Was that some uh, massive force that came against you that's in some kind of magnetic force field? 
was it some kind of big uh, monstrosity of some kind? Or was it a person? Was it a group of people? Like, boil it down. Because what is the church? I mean, the church is not something separated or different from the conglomeration or the come-together of the individual members of it. And so if the church wounded you, how exactly did that happen? Now, I want to I say something very personal because a lot of people who could be deconstructing their faith could be preacher's kids. I, I'm a preacher's wife. And I'm also on staff at our church. And I have been wounded by the church. I could call it that. And the only reason I would say I've been wounded by the church is because I don't want to call out the specific people by name. But I could. I could tell you exactly who slandered me or who had an expectation of me that I did not fulfill. And so they went to somebody else and talked negative about me. I could tell you exactly who didn't invite me to something because I'm different than they are and they may not feel as comfortable in that, you know, weekend trip or whatever, and I felt left out. I mean, that when I say I've been wounded by the church, it's because somebody said something that hurt my feelings. It's because I, I didn't get included when I wanted to be included. It's because... Um, it's because maybe I had expectations of somebody or a group of people and they disappointed me because they didn't they didn't behave in a way that I, I wanted them to or that I felt like they ought to. And my experience, my friends, in the church is that um, we all follow after Jesus and we're all seeking to love like Jesus loved and to serve like Jesus served and to um, forgive like he forgives. But I, I haven't met that many people who are doing it perfectly just yet. But I, I have... In my 30-something years in the same church, might I add, in my 30, almost 33 years in the same church, I have grown to appreciate what we're able to do when we cooperate together. I have grown to value the way that the people in our church love on each other and serve each other. And, and the way some of them, me included in some relationships, have um, been able to allow the Spirit of God to um, repair what was broken. I, I love, and, we, and our church is in a little community. And so some of the members of our church now are the backbone of a lot of the churches in our area. And I love that when I see some of these people that, I mean, we're the people that hurt me because they left us. Like when you leave the church, I have still, I'm just being honest, as a pastor's wife, have a real hard time not getting my feelings hurt over that. And when they do that, but then I've been able to see them again later, like years later. And we reconnect and, and we still value each other. And, and sometimes even are able to have conversations like, you know what? What happened back then? I'm sorry that happened. I, I didn't mean for it to be like that. And I'm, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I mean, I've even had the opportunity to do that. Man, that's cool. And that's good stuff. And I would say, we don't do it well. And the church is a mess. It is a mess. And we so fall short. But we're still the most beautiful 
working of people together in the world today. And, and we want to be better. And the God we serve is beautiful and perfect and forgiving and long-suffering and patient and kind and, and all of those things. And so I would just want to say to you, have a little grace, have a little mercy toward the church. I, uh, and I could be very wrong about this. I may just be in very self-focused in the statement I'm about to say. But I sometimes wonder, and this is for you pastor's wives, I sometimes wonder if my hurt through the years um, kind of settled into the tender hearts of my children. And when they got old enough to begin to choose whether they're going to go to church or not and to, and to decide which direction and which um, life philosophy and what core beliefs they're going to embrace, if maybe some of my hurt might have played a role in them wanting to have nothing to do with the church. And if that's the case, I'm so sorry. I wish I had hidden it, you know. Um, at the time, I didn't on purpose flaunt it. I just chose not to live some kind of secret life. I wanted my children to see the real and the raw and the, and the genuineness of it. But I'm here to say today to anybody who might be listening to this, parents of children deconstructing their faith, or maybe if some kids deconstructing their faith are, are listening in, I want you to know I love the church. <laughs> I love the church. I love the people that make up the church. I have met some of the sweetest, kindest, uh, most amazing, coolest, most talented just remarkable people in the world through the church. And I've served the church far beyond just my local church for many years. Most of the years of my children growing up that they can remember, I've traveled to other churches and, and served them too. And I'm, and I'm telling you the truth when I say that. I've not done a good job of saying that along the way. And I was critical and I should not have been. But I'm saying that now. So I'm just saying to you that there is nothing, there is nothing new under the sun. That um, these things that you're you're discovering, they're they're not new. And I want to challenge you to really um, doubt your doubts. Like, don't just doubt and suddenly decide that something is as wicked and terrible as suddenly you're opening yourself up to read about and discover. But go ahead and challenge that as well. Challenge that statement. If you're embracing another faith, like Hinduism or Buddhism or, or um, you know, whatever it might be, go ahead and challenge that. Put it under the same scrutiny that you're putting Christianity under. But while I'm talking to the kids that might de be deconstructing their faith, besides telling you there's nothing new under the sun, I want you to also know we love you. I mean, I'm your mama. I love you. Uh, your parents, they love you. Now, do we know how to, do we know what to do with you right now? We don't have a clue, but you don't know what to do with us either. And so we're going to mess up. We're going to get ourselves backed into corners and conversations that we can't even begin to understand how to come out of it. We're going to hear things coming out of our mouths that immediately when it comes out, we're going to wish we hadn't said it. Aren't you going to do that too? So I'm just saying that while we're walking through the mess of this, if you're going to choose to talk about it with us, which I, for one, I don't mind it. Now, I know that other people would just prefer not to, and maybe that keeps the peace better. 
But I've always been very close to my children, and I like talking about what's important to you and to them. But when we're talking, don't just assume you already know everything that we're going to say. Let us say. And plus, we kind of need to say, why the heck do you think I'm trying to do this podcast right now? I've just got things I want to (laughs) say. But we don't know. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do with you. We don't know what to do with ourselves. All we know, it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because our hearts and our heads create our faith. We don't We don't have faith with just our head. And we don't have faith with just our heart. It's all of it together. We want to talk. We want to share. We want to be open-minded. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> Because sometimes we think what you're saying is just downright ridiculous. And it's also hard because you're you're dealing with a world that you're creating that none of us have ever dealt with before. And um, sometimes you're criticizing things that are, are pretty precious to us. And um, sometimes you're making assumptions about things that we felt like we were doing pretty good about. Um, racism, for instance. I I grew up in the Deep South, and um, where we were when I was in elementary school and where we are now is far different. We have made made strides in the right direction, and it was hurtful to many of us last year when the issue of racism, I personally believe, was used... I I totally believe we still have issues that need to be fixed. I 100% agree. And I would much rather be part of the solution than somebody somebody is fighting against, thinking that I am eager to make it worse. I'm not. I I want there to be um, uh, generosity on all our parts towards all people. I want to alleviate any kind of um, discrepancy or, or things that are not right. I want things to be right. And I want people to be treated with dignity and integrity and goodness. But l- last year, I felt like much of that was exacerbated in the political climate. And we were being manipulated and maneuvered as people to um, align ourselves politically. And, and racism was being used as an issue to try to do that rather than as a reality that we really want to um, correct and make better. And during that season, there was a lot of brokenness between young men and their dads because of this. And the young men, I felt like, had so much to um, get out of their system. And the fathers, just because they're wise and they're experienced and they're old, they sat quiet and let their sons get it out of their systems, which is a beautiful, remarkable, mature thing. But what I want, what I think a lot of fathers might have wanted to say was, guys, look at where we were in the 60s down here in the South. We, we are doing this and we're doing better and we want to get even better. But let's not be manipulated and maneuvered by a political uh, uh, atmosphere that does nothing but divide us rather than, than unite us. And I'm using that just as an, as, as an example. Um, but bottom line is, we love you. We love you, kids. There's there's nothing you could do or not do that's going to make us not love you. But there is going to be um, a change in how we might share um, freely in the in the ebb and flow of our lives if you 
uh, are rejecting our core beliefs and values because our core beliefs and values are, are what make us who we are. And as you develop your core beliefs and values, if they stand in stark contrast to ours, then we will never be as close as we were when you were living in our home and when you were, as a child, embracing whatever it was that we were giving you. And let me remind you, as I'm talking about how much we love you, that we didn't give that to you because we were trying to make little clones of ourselves. We were giving it to you because we so believe that our Christian faith is the absolute best way to live our lives, that our life is complete and whole and beautiful and um, the sky's the limit as to what we can do and experience because we have a personal relationship with the Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we didn't do that to you to diminish you. We didn't rear you on Bible stories and the plan of salvation and the gospel message to limit you. We did not share Jesus with you in order to make you less than who you are. We did all of that because we love you and we genuinely believe that to have Jesus in your heart and um, to have your life centered around a biblical worldview is the absolute best life you could possibly live. And um, no matter how much we talk or don't talk, no matter how uncomfortable that makes us when we're together or not together, we're, we're still going to believe that. And we don't do that to do anything to you. We just, that's what we believe. <laughs> I mean, that's what faith is, right? That's what faith is. So parents, I want to talk to you as I close this out. It's getting awfully long, and I know it is. And um, I got more to say, and that's why I'm going to do this in three parts and not just one. But I, my advice to you through the school of hard knocks that I've, um, I hadn't graduated from, I'm bumbling through it, is that when your kids come home for Christmas or y'all are able to get together, it's really better to open your mind and shut your mouth. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's better just to listen. And what I do is I pray. I'm like, dear Lord, when I'm with my kids, would you just allow me to hear what, hear what they're saying but allow me to have supernatural discernment to hear their heart and what they're not able to put in words. And when I've prayed that, I hear the hurt. I hear the loneliness. I hear the, the angst. That's a new word in my world because there's a lot of angst in this deconstruction. And the Lord is teaching me how just to love them where they are. It's not my job. I wish it were my job, but it's not my job to change them, and I don't have the ability to do that. I cannot even convince them. I forget to say, because I can even say to them what I just said to you in this podcast. So when you're together, just, just love them. Just let them know that there's nothing they're going to do or say that's going to make you feeling different toward them. I think it's also important, though, not to let them say something ridiculous just to get a rise out of you. But, but do pray because the, um, you don't want to get suckered into a, 
conversation that's not going to be productive. So I'm just saying, open your mind and shut your mouth. <laughs> Keep your mouth closed. Look for ways to just genuinely love your kids. And and don't you don't even have to talk about faith and whatnot. Just enjoy life, you know? Talk about other things that you can agree on and that will and that will be good. And um that's probably enough. That's enough for me to express to you today. I've got some other things to say to you as parents, but I'll tell it I'll tell it to you in the next podcast. So in our next um session together, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some of the trigger words that are being used, I believe, very intentionally to try to especially attract kids that grew up in the church to um a place of deconstructing and denouncing their faith. I'm, I'm also going to talk about um, the weak spots we have in our armor as Christ followers and as uh, members of the modern day church. I, I do believe that this deconstruction, the Holy Spirit wants to say to his church, I, I want y'all to address these particular things. So in the next episode, we'll talk about trigger words and those weak spots in our armor. So, um, anyway, if you have listened to this today to the very end and you have children that are deconstructing their faith, I want to encourage you to recognize that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. And I want you to know that the God who began a good work in your son or daughter will carry it through to completion. I'll have to look up the address to that verse. And I want you to be encouraged. I just want you to be encouraged that you're not alone. There's a whole lot of us out here that are bumping our foreheads against a wall. (laughs) Or going to bed wishing we hadn't said that. That um, a bunch of us moms and dads who love Jesus and we love our kids. And um, we are in the thick of it. And we don't have any intention of letting go, but we certainly want to maintain healthy, good relationships with our children as we walk with integrity, this tricky path of parenting people who are deconstructing their faith. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to share the things that are on my heart. I thank you for our children. (coughs) I thank you that you are a God who is not undone by what's going on in the world today. We, that gives us great confidence, Lord, as we heave our sons and daughters over into your safekeeping and your care, and we choose to pledge our allegiance to you and to trust you to give us what to say when and um, to also give us the ability to shut our mouths and just be quiet many times. Lord, I ask that you bless our families, bless our marriages, and bless our children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to episode one of our three-part series that I'm doing this month in December for parents of people who are deconstructing their faith. I have a couple of resources that I think you will really enjoy. And if you know other parents 
who are in the same boat that we're in, please share this podcast with them. And you might also um, share these resources. So one is a book I wrote called Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. This um, book is really more a book on spiritual warfare than it is on specifically dealing with kids that are deconstructing their faith. But um, powerful, powerful truths that I'm sharing with you on how to just fight and win the spiritual battles that we've already been given the opportunity to win. So Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. It's a book that I published with Bethany House Publishers, Baker Books, and it's available anywhere books are sold. You might also pick it up on my new and improved author website, which is www.leannemccoy.com, and I spell my Leanne, L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N, then M-C-C-O-Y.com. And so on my new website, you can also poke around and see pictures of my children, my adult children. And you'll also see a couple of pictures of my practically perfect in every way granddaughters. So, um, and get to know me and, and get connected there. But anyway, spiritual warfare for your family. There's also an online course that I created with my good friend, Jennifer Kennedy Dean. Jennifer Kennedy Dean, unfortunately, um, died in 2019. And oh my goodness, I miss her so much. But she and I had the opportunity to create an online course together called Praying for the Lost. And Jennifer is just a wealth of deep spiritual insight, but very, very practical application. And uh, if you'll look on either my prayerclinic.com website or my leannemccoy.com website, you can find under the courses tab, the, the course Praying for the Lost. And I promise you, mom and dad, you will love doing this uh, course together as you pray for your kids. So anyway, I would really love to know what kind of resources you all know about, what places you found that have really helped and encouraged you. And so if you would visit my my Facebook also, my Facebook sites, I've got both an author page and a prayer clinic page. I'm kind of a dual personality person here. I've got the prayer clinic ministry. I'm passionate about getting your churches praying, but I also have my personal page, which is the Leanne McCoy page. But I would love to get some conversation going on some of those pages and us just, just share, share the resources you know about. If you just need a safe place to vent, um, I guarantee both of those will be safe places. Your kids aren't ever going to be on those pages looking at us. They're not even on Facebook anymore. But anyway, you can find me also out there on uh, TikTok, on uh, uh, Instagram. Where else am I? My husband says Instachat. You can find me on Twitter. Not much on Twitter, but I might be there a little. But anyway, the main places are these two websites, prayerclinic.com and leahmccoy.com. Anyway, looking forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you for joining me on the Prayer Clinic Podcast. <music>